0: This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. As we head into the November 8th elections, we focus today on women of color. According to Politico, of the 259 women nominated in House primaries this year, 43% were women of color, the highest percentage for the demographic in recent cycles. In In Senate races, black women like Val Demings in Florida and Sherry Beasley in North Carolina, both Democrats are facing off against Republican candidates to increase the woefully inadequate representation of women of color in the Senate. In gubernatorial races, Stacey Abrams is the highest profile black woman running nationally, hoping to oust Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia. But there are many challenges facing such candidates. A new report by the Center for Democracy and Technology finds that women of color who run for office are most likely to face misinformation and abuse compared to candidates from other demographic groups. My guest today is Amy Allison, founder and president of She the People, a national organization that elevates the voice and power of women of color as leaders. Former colleague of mine at uh, Pacific Radio in Berkeley, Amy, so great to have you on the program today.
1: It's great to be back. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: So there was a time when we would talk about the squad of four women of color who ran and won their seats in Congress as being these incredible trendsetters. Today, we're seeing these record numbers of women of color, not just among Democrats, but even for Republicans, we're seeing more women of color running, particularly in house races. Um, Give me a sense of how far women of color have come into into the political realm via elected office.
1: Well I started this work with she the People, really, uh, in 2016, at the DNC held and organized the first luncheon for women of color uh, in Philadelphia. And at that time, women of color as a political bloc were not acknowledged. Black women, Asian American women, Latina, indigenous, none of, none of us. It wasn't it was as if the fastest growing and most critical voting block for the Democrats was was, um, you know, absent. Uh, from consideration about what policies matter, what leadership matters, and what voters matter, and um, much has changed. Uh, the the squad in you know you have these transformational progressive women of color leaders who were the first of uh, who won in uh, the midterms in 2018, uh, built political capital. We continue to build political cap- capital in 2020 um, with the vice president in the White House and making making that argument. And in 22, as you mentioned, have an historic number of women of color running for office in the primary. So that's where we've come. We we basically have told the rest of the country and the political establishment of the parties, look, we're here, we will be seen, we'll be heard, and most importantly, we're standing for a set of values and policies that are important. You can't win without us. The Republicans now are starting to understand that. The Democrats are starting to understand that. But the political capital that we're building is just beginning. It's, 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 you know, having winning um, a certain select seats is very important. Um, and this year, as you've said. The key Senate races, House races, and actually statewide attorney general and secretary of state races all are indications of the political power that women of color have. You know, but the truth of the matter is that women of color who ran in the primaries this year, most of them did not make it to the general. Right. And so we still have a problem with the ecosystem of the political establishment, which, you know, a lot of people think that politics is about voting, and that's a very important part of it um it isn't just about getting our people elected in the office it's about the consultants um it's about what data there's not a lot of data about women of color it's about oh which candidates donors back very early on and the fact of the matter is that women of color right now we are still on the path to building the political power that we need in order to be seen and heard and take a rightful uh, place so there's been progress but we're still on the path. Not enough. <laughs> it's just been a few years.
0: How much support is the Democratic Party's machinery? Because the majority of the women of color who are running for office tend to run as Democrats. How much support do they get from the machinery of the party? Because that's where those consultants come into play, having that support. And even you know, as we lead close to the election for those who have won their primaries, um, you know, how much support are they getting from President Biden coming to stump for them?
1: um i i would use uh, two concrete examples uh, congresswoman val demings who's running for senate in florida and um uh, chief justice sherry beasley who's running for senate in north carolina two black women with uh, very impressive uh, records in public service uh sailed through their primary in large part because the uh the political establishment backed them, and in the case of Sherry Beasley, cleared the field so that they did not have to uh, run um, a competitive primary. So in that sense, it was very positive. What we heard uh, time and time again during the process of um, you know, the primary to the general, is that the groups on the ground who are responsible for engaging, particularly voters of color, um, speaking to voters, registering voters and turning out voters were underfunded. And that coming to key voters, in the case of uh, uh, both North Carolina and Florida, it is it is not that you can go to voters of color or women of color in the last six weeks and expect to win, not in, in a couple of Southern states in which there's never been a black woman and a Democrat winning statewide in many, many years. So um, in that sense, the campaign infrastructure was underfunded. Um, and that was underfunded for many, many uh, months, critical months. Because, you know, the the mistake of the political establishment is to look at uh, women of color, let's just say black women as a subset of the women of color uh, vote, is to look at that group as a a turnout universe, not a persuasion universe. And that might sound like a lot of gobbledygook, but, what, but but actually what that really means is investing in making the case to this set of voters who were so critical and making that case um, early, not just around, hey, we're going to assume we have their vote. We don't have to engage them, listen to them. And and, and all we have to do is you know, get them a vote plan. So very different ways of looking at um, this group of voters. So having said that, you know, we we need in these critical um, Senate races that I've been talking about, we need um, deeper and longer lasting investment, particularly in on the ground um, organizing, as well as the turnout efforts the weeks before the election. Okay. So Both big- things are needed.
0: So what you're saying is that or it sounds like you're saying that uh, the Democratic Party has to has had to contend with the fact that uh, women of color are no longer content to be told how to vote. They want to represent themselves and not be represented right. by white women or white men or, you know, basically people who are not women of color,
1: well, women of color are not. First of all, we're recognizing that we're a power block. The recognition is growing year over year. We're not waiting for someone to bless us or, you know, uh, tap us. Um, we're expending political capital um, right now to run, and I think that's why so many women of color are, you know, uh, running very, very strong campaigns in this moment. Where you know the rise in Republicans and the amount of dark money that's fueling attacks, you know, is is huge. And focus squarely on on women of color. You know, just shows the readiness. Um, of this particular group of of candidates to run and 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 to run competitively and to win, I think what 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 we need to contend with is, you know, we have political capital, but the assumption is uh, women of color are going to vote for the Democrats. You're right; most women of color who run run as Dems. But in a, you know my home state of California, women of color who come of age to vote a third of them are declined estates Hmm. that don't identify with parties and in fact uh, she the people um as an organization did a first of its kind survey uh 10 state listening sessions where we gathered women of color and we listened and what we heard was pretty clear that uh women of color do not like being taken for granted uh that we in fact are a persuasion universe that many um, of the ways that uh, leaders, as uh, already elected leaders and candidates, are speaking about the issues don't reach um, women of color, and that um, and there's not enough in, investment and you know um, in our leadership and our vision yet. So we did hear those things. So, so although the party looks at white voters, particular white women as swing voters. That they have to win over those are the swing voters that we have to um you know both attract and catch their attention and and um respond to and pay you know and and pay homage to and speak their language that is used in terms of white voters and white women in particular not women of color but the fact of the matter is that women of color are um a group of voters who you can't assume Uh, will vote for any particular party or candidate. In fact, what we heard state after state, and we went from California, Nevada, uh, Texas, uh, Georgia, Ohio, we went to 10 10 states that were considered battleground in 22. And we heard it's not the leader, it's not the race and gender of the leader, it's the the policies. Do we trust them to fight for our interests? And that's the indication that uh, we are maturing as a movement into a very sophisticated group of uh, voters who are, uh, you know, here to stay.
0: What are some of the main issues that you are seeing are prompting women of color to the polls? Of course, we had the overturning of abortion rights earlier this year that, uh, you know, that Democrats were expecting was going to drive folks to the polls, at least uh, pro-abortion, pro-choice Voters to the polls. And then, of course, we have the drumbeat that the economy is failing. Um, and it's true that even the wages are rising, they're not keeping up with inflation. Inflation is a real concern. Uh, are you seeing those two issues, among others, that are driving uh, women of color voters to the polls?
1: I, you know, um there were three top issues that we uncovered in our national surveys that that were um, went alongside our listening sessions. The top one was pocketbook issues the cost of rent, the cost of food, the cost of childcare, the cost of living. Um, Second, um, and that went right alongside the uh, concern about uh, reproductive justice. And what we discovered for women of color is that there isn't a a narrow understanding about abortion rights. That's not in and of itself a motivating issue, understood really through both uh, the economy. So if you have so like people will say the dobbs issue is you know top concern but abortion as really understood as um a way to you know in which it's a right for women and women of color to decide when and if to have children is an economic issue um they talked a lot about black maternal health and access to health care talked a lot about the cost of uh daycare child care talked a lot about the cost of education, along with these pocketbook issues. So really top for top of mind, going into the midterms is that combination of um, the justice issues as it affects the economic uh, you know, s- safety and security. And then talking about safety, the other top issue was gun safety. Mm. Now, women of color were very clear um, that one of their top concerns that they want to see addressed by electeds, um, in, in, you know, in this, in this period is, you know, the safety of themselves and their community from gun violence and their children, um, continues to be a top issue. And
0: then let's talk about threats that are facing women of color candidates. As well as women of color voters, um, I mentioned a study where uh, women of color candidates were more likely to face misinformation and abuse. You know, we've seen uh, representatives like Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez be the uh, targets of attacks. And then for voters, we're seeing voter suppression in state after state. You know, states like Georgia, where Stacey Abrams is running competitively against Brian Kemp, trying for a second time to oust him. So, uh, are those two threats facing? candidates, you know, actual literal danger and then uh, facing voters, voter suppression. Are, are those that concern you as well?
1: Yeah, I think there's lots of examples in the, in the days that are leading up to the election t- to point to. I mean, there are higher rates, as you said, of online abuse, threats, mis- and disinformation and attack ads that are being aired constantly that play up racist themes and evoke racist tropes. Here's an example. Our congressional candidate in Akron, Ohio, Ohio 13, Amelia Sykes, um, in in a uh, a seat that could have been, you know, pretty comfortably Democratic, now has seen in the last uh, three weeks over $10 million of dark money that's been poured into a very small media market. So TV and ads are attacking her, uh, calling her soft on on crime, which is, um, you know, you know, using some racist tropes, you know, and some of these attack ads, honestly, some of them are to motivate uh, their Trump base, because she's running against a Trump endorsed candidate. And some are to um, make people who would normally go out to vote, Mm -hmm. feel uh, disaffected, and and, um, attack the motivation. So those, those two things, um, and I think we see other some other uh, races in other states. Uh, Rochelle Garza is running for attorney general and Rochelle Garza is polling the highest of any Democrat that's running statewide in Texas. Uh, attorney general is key because the uh, Republican dominated state legislature and the uh, governor have actually, um, you know, passed some of the most Uh, restrictive and punishing anti-abortion laws. And the attorney general could uh, day one refuse to prosecute women who have an abortion. So it's a very, very important race. The attack ads and the mischaracterizations of Rochelle Garza are significant, but she's a very, very important uh, 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 candidate and someone who we believe has the best chance of flipping Texas blue this season, this cycle.
0: Well, uh, finally, Amy, in terms of voter suppression and Georgia, let's hone in on the Stacey Abrams-Brian Kemp race. I know that's uh, a race that you were thinking a lot about um, several years ago when Stacey Abrams lost to Brian Kemp, who basically a secretary of state and a candidate for governor, uh, you know, appeared to have done everything he could to rig the election um, and has done everything he can to suppress voting. We're also seeing, you know, an important Senate race there, not involving women of color, but men of color, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. But but how do you foresee the, the Stacey Abrams-Brian Kemp race? Is her popularity enough to overcome the efforts that Kemp is making to, you know, seemingly cheat his way back into power?
1: No, he is cheating. I mean, I think we we need Let's to say call it, yeah. <laughs> what it what it is. I'm, uh, he's doing everything he can with the infrastructure that he has laid out to pre- prevent one person, one vote in Georgia uh, to discourage voting. And he's backed by so much dark money. We talked about Texas. We talked about Ohio. But if you you know, I was in Atlanta uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's like you know, every thirty seconds uh, there was an attack ad um, against Stacey Abrams, and that's the environment. Um, plus voter suppression, which you've mentioned, um, the difference between 2018, her run then, and her run now, is that um, Stacey Abrams and uh, so many organizers and leaders in the in the state of Georgia have set up uh, an infrastructure that focuses on turning out a multiracial base. Stacey Abrams always told us that, you know, the old democratic playbook of looking in the big cities is, you know, that's is not the way to overcome voter suppression. We need overwhelming turnout. And so she, through um, New Georgia Project, through Fair Fight, which is an organization she founded to defend voting rights, um, those that infrastructure is making a difference now. How do we know? We pulled the numbers of early vote. Now, early vote started uh, a few days ago in Georgia. And we look. if we look at women of color, let's just look at black women, Black women are 18% of the of the registered voting population. And they were 21% of those who voted um, the first week means there's a surge. So if you read, hey, there's a Republican surge in voting, you know, that isn't true in Georgia. There's a black women's voting surge, which speaks very, very highly of the infrastructure that's been built over years um, to make sure that people can vote and um, You know, gives us some hope that this is the way that we with all of the other challenges um, and protections and education and engagement and and voter turnout that actually we've seen indications that in Georgia, it's working so you know i'm not going to make any predictions, but I am going to say it feels like a whole new day it's a whole new election and Stacey Abrams campaign is ready in a way that is even more, is a higher level of readiness to, to face Brian Kemp and, and all his dark money attacks, you know? So I'm feeling really positive about that.
0: Amy, thank you so much for joining us. What's a good website for She the People?
1: SheThePeople.org, and you can uh, read up about all the candidates that we're uh, supporting uh, this year, really amazing women of color who stand for, you know, uh, racial and economic and gender justice. So they're they're there. And you can find us on Instagram um, and Twitter as well. well thank Twitter, you. See what happens with Twitter? Right.
0: <laughs> right yes. Right that's now a whole other Twitter. conversation. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you again, Amy. Really appreciate you and your time. Thank you so much. My guest has been Amy Allison. She's the founder and president of She the People, a national organization that elevates the voice and power of women of color as leaders. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, RisingUpWithSonali.com. By becoming a subscriber, find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.